Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 91, and I'm Skylar Callan filling in for Wesley Euler as he's still making his way across country from Las Vegas, if you haven't caught up with that news. The uh, Steelers plane had a little issue, so uh, I'm filling in for him tonight. I was a starting pitcher back in the day, so uh, I'm not used to this whole relief stuff, so we'll see how I do coming out of the bullpen this week for Wes. But uh, in the Gun here with Jed Drenning and the Runaway Beer Truck, Owen Schmidt. Uh, before we get started, a word from Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Uh, make sure you go and uh, get the latest odds and lines and matchup reports there on Bet Online. Bet Online, where the game starts. And Jed and Owen, a lot of uh, a lot going on here in the top 25 this past week. It was finally the first time we actually had some top 25 matchups to really actually talk about, dive into. We'll get uh, Big Daddy in here in a little bit to talk more about West Virginia Texas Tech. Also. But just hitting on the top 25, everyone was talking about this Colorado-Oregon matchup, right? And Oregon's been the the darling of college football here in the first week, couple weeks of the season. We all knew that this was going to come to an end at some point. But holy crap. Like, like Colorado just put it to them. And I love the Dan Lanning. I don't know if you guys saw the the video of Dan Lanning before the game's little pregame speech about it. We're we're not doing it for clicks. We're here to do it on the field. That was... That was pretty awesome. And even at halftime, he said 35 to six. It was like 35 to six or something. He's like, we're not done. So they only got one more touchdown. But I think the the, the message was well received uh, for Dion in, in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, that was a that was a heck of a statement. And, uh, you know, just seeing that clip of him, this isn't for the clicks. We do this for the wins. Uh, you know, and Oregon absolutely just steamrolled them. You know, the thing I see with Colorado, you got to be able to run the ball. Uh, and that's something they lack. Um, I think on the season, uh, the 90 se- the quarterback runs is like negative 97 yards or something crazy like that. Yeah. Uh, so they, they need to learn how to run the ball a little bit. But, you know, we I, th- I think everybody kind of knew um, at some point, you know, it this would happen. Not Maybe not so much like this, but – you know, it comes in uh, every sorts of form and fashion, and, and Colorado takes it on the chin, but it is what it is. And I love what Dion's response is. Hey, this is the worst we're going to be. Yeah, right? there's, there's, there's some nuance to all this. Right? Yeah. I mean, we, we talked a few weeks back when people were saying, what in the world is college game day going to Colorado State and Colorado for? What did we say? Because of timing. Strike when the, the iron's hot. Looking ahead. They're looking ahead. And they want to stay ahead of the posse and seize this while it's hot before they take one on the chin. And that's exactly what they did. Now, I'll say this about what Dan Lanning said. Dan Lanning was throwing shade a couple weeks ago before they played. If Colorado is staying in the same conference as Oregon, they do not release that video from that locker room. That doesn't happen. (laughs) No way in the world does that happen. I mean, that violates every norm in the history of coaching. You do not give your enemy that much to feed on in perpetuity. But yeah, with going off in their too. direction and Oregon going off in theirs, why not, right? They were saying, what do we have to lose here? Let's let's go ahead and throw some shade. Let's toss it their way. And Travis Hunter's their best player He on both sides of the ball, maybe. He was out, but he doesn't account for a 36-point difference. Just like Owen nah. said, he's not going to help you run the football. Now, you got USC coming to Boulder. Uh, I, I think that's more looking in the mirror for Colorado. USC's defense has improved, but it's not Oregon's defense. And I think Colorado might be able to score some points against USC, but I just don't think Colorado hasn't stopped anybody yet. And I certainly don't think they're going to stop Caleb Williams and USC. So tough sled in the head. And, and, you know, Dion has to understand, and he's a very savvy guy. He wants that locker room following him, belly crawling through hell, uh, you know, over shards of glass. But yeah. – they're not going to continue to do that if just to get back at what the other coach is saying, you're telling the other coach how bad your players are. You better get me now because my players really suck and we won't suck forever. Dude, be careful what you're saying. Your yeah. kids hear what you're saying, you know, and you're right. This is as bad as you'll be, but you don't need to be saying that to your own locker room hears it. Right. I mean, be, 
but again, who am I to counsel Dion? So there's a lot of moving parts here. Everything they do, everything they say is one of the bigger stories in college football, including, you know, getting curb stomped by 36 points. That's one of the bigger stories in college football. They'll get better. They'll be able to score on most of the teams they face. Oregon just didn't happen to be one of those teams. And it may not be the last time that this happens to them, too. They got USC coming up. They've got some some tough games. Pac-12 is really good this year, guys. Like, yeah, it is. And, and we've talked about it. Mean, they don't match up with it all. They don't match up with Utah at all. Yeah, at that all. could be a that could be a game where it gets out of hand. That's one right there. Physically. Because yeah, that's Kyle the biggest issue with Colorado is, is the trenches. Kyle they they are terrible up front. Brooks, no nonsense. I mean, but everything how, you saw Dan Lanning say and do, that's what Kyle Whittingham does without saying it. Yeah. And I know that these two – well, one of them's not in the conference, uh, the same conference as West Virginia anymore. One of them has never been in the same conference. But it's a game that a lot of people like to pay attention to. Um, Virginia Tech and Marshall, how about this? Well, actually, just we'll, we'll talk about the rivals real quick. How about a weekend for West Virginia fans? You not only win. But you see Pitt go down again. They're one and three. Their only loss or their only win is an FCS opponent in Wofford. Virginia Tech loses to Marshall. They're one and three. Their only win is against an FCS opponent. I mean, this is like a Mountaineer weekend dream. Saturday night, Scott. They play together. They play each other at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. Someone's got to be one and four. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Pitt remains in 15th place in the Big 12. The Big 12 standings, they're, they're the only 0-2 team in the Big 12. So, uh, And, and th- this interesting ball. fact that I did, because I did ESPN Blacksburg Radio, every, I do it every Monday, uh, talk Panthers, West Virginia, and I, I, dug, uh, I dug up an interesting stat. In the last two years, Virginia Tech is 1-9 in, in Power 5 games. That's worse than Rutgers and Vanderbilt. That shows you how far Virginia Tech has fallen in the last few years. Yeah, they've struggled, man. There's they've four, struggled. There's a pair of four and O teams in Virginia playing Power Five FBS or excuse me FBS football, and neither one of them are Virginia. Tech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lastly, before we get uh, start getting into this West Virginia Texas Tech game, uh, Notre Dame Ohio State seventeen fourteen very low scoring game. Uh, I thought it was funny the little back and forth that fake Lou Holtz and, and the real Lou Holtz had leading up to that game. And then uh, Ryan Day kind of coming back at the real Lou Holtz um, by saying that his team wasn't physical enough. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, I don't know if they were really that physical, but uh, they found a way to win at the end, 17 to 14. That hurt a lot of people that bet Notre Dame in this game. They had them plus the points. Uh, but interesting, because I, I thought, well, we talked to Phil on Friday, Jet. He was going right down the list. He was like, yep, Notre Dame's better here, better here, better here, yep. better here. And I agreed with him. I said they won the game outright with ease. And they just could not get going offensively. No, they yeah. couldn't. And Yeah. Hey, uh, oh, and here's what I see. What, what, I didn't question Ohio State's toughness. Hey, let me get the elephant out, though, real quick, Jed. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Look. You might be tough, but anyone's tough when you're playing 11 against 10, okay? That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Now they said they came up with a signal in case they only have 10 on defense. What? You need a signal? But I never questioned Ohio State's toughness until Ryan Day said that. And as soon as he said that, I was like, how thin-skinned is Ohio State? That he you was hear salty. that much noise from your Ohio State? But he you was salty. that much noise He's... from the outside? He's feeling it. He was feeling it. He he was borderline a little too aggressive when he was talking about it, too. I was like, I mean, I question question their toughness. (laughs) Michigan is in your head. Oh, bad. Wow. I mean, I never thought twice about it until Ryan Day said that. And I was like, dude, you're Ohio State. Act like it. Talk like it. I mean, can you imagine Nick Saban saying something like that? He does it for a reason. Speaking of Nick Saban, guys, if you ever question, how quarterback-centric this modern game has truly become. All you got to do is look at two of the biggest brands in the sport, Ohio State and Alabama. And you always just took for granted there'd be another Bryce Young. There'd be another top-five quarterback. There'd be another C.J. Stroud. And as soon as there isn't, as soon as there merely is an incredibly talented quarterback but not a top-five quarterback, Look at the struggles Alabama and Ohio State are having offensively simply because, I mean, they have two, probably Ohio State probably has two of the top five receivers in the country. 
There's talk Marvin Harrison might be the number two overall pick. They're talented at every position, except they're not quite what they were at quarterback. And look at them. It, it looks like a different team offensively. That's how quarterback-centric this game has become. Yeah, it is. I agree. It, it is. And, and I, I still think it's funny, though. <laughs> Ryan Day going after 86-year-old Lugans. <laughs> you are not tough man come on man the, the only one other one i would want to mention skylar and it's just because there were such insane numbers coming out of it yeah it is penn state shutting out i knew, knew you're going there yeah penn yeah, state ran 97 offensive plays yeah, iowa crazy. ran crazy. ready for this ran 33 yeah 33 a whole I somebody posted something on Twitter. I'm trying to remember how long it's been since there had been a 60 play deficit with one team versus another team. 97 plays to 33. That is a neat trick. You're probably whole, talking about like one of the service academies doing that. Maybe you don't see that from like an ordinary offense. It's incredibly difficult to do that. First of all, you don't see Penn State run a 97 play. Yeah, first of all, nah. you see like a 70 play average uh, yeah. amongst most teams. Yeah. 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 And, to and, have almost 30 wow. plus on that and then to shut them out almost 40, especially Iowa. You know, I mean, I was blown away by the, the, end, the end result of that game. I, I figured there'd be a little, you know, I was the defensive team. They're, they're, they're the, they're the, the black and golds, right? They're the, uh, the steel curtain of college football. Uh, but man, Penn State, hey, they're for real. They are. They're absolutely for real. And and so are Iowa's offensive problems. And for a West Virginia analyst to sit here and talk about somebody else's <laughs> offensive problems, they're real. <laughs> that, tells you they're real. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely tells you a lot. But like you said, that Penn State loss, I mean, that's the only one you got right now after West Virginia. We're, we're going to dive into here in a minute. But, like, got to feel pretty good about where this team is, despite all those offensive struggles that they've had. They found a way to win these games. Years past, I'm not sure that's the case. So, three and one is West Virginia. As we get into our uh, recap of the game here, one uh, thank you to uh, Toothman Ford. If you all, if you haven't yet, go to Grafton. We all know cars cost less in Grafton. Uh, pick yourself up a vehicle. Maybe make the long cross country trip out to, to TCU this week. I don't know. Wes was talking about making the the short drive from TCU or to, from uh, Dallas to Houston, but or the other way around. But anyways. He'll be in Houston with the Steelers if if yeah. he ever if he ever finally made it back from from uh, Las Vegas with the Steelers. <laughs> he was texting us all afternoon. We're taping this on Monday, and he texted me at like one o'clock, and I'm like, "Hey, how was the trip, uh, dude? I'm in Kansas City. Like, oh, I got done watching that game 13 hours ago." He's like, "Yeah, we've been on the plane since then." So had, it, I don't know if you haven't heard if you've been in a cave somewhere. The Steelers' plane, their their charter had some sort of oil pressure issue. So they had to make an emergency landing in Kansas City. And typically, for whatever twisted weird reason, if Owen, you've probably been involved in some of that. I don't know I have. The protocol typically dictates you can't get off those flights. You're stuck on them on the tarmac, and it is treacherous. So Wes finally made it back to Pittsburgh. No harm, no foul. But uh, that's that's where he is, for those wondering, as Skylar mentioned earlier. I mean, what a journey from Milan to Minsk to Vegas that, holy cow, but now he goes to Houston, and he's actually talking about the possibility of, should I rent a car in Houston and zip up to DFW <laughs> to, to Fort Worth to uh, maybe check to Eamon G. Carter to check out the game and get back at 3 o'clock? And then he has pregame before the Steelers. Wow. Dude's nuts, man. He's nuts. He is nuts. He is nuts. Speaking so of J.R. Was... Toothman, Owen, hey, JR, you had a run-in, didn't you? Yeah, J.R. caught me in uh, in beer truck fashion. <laughs> at the end of the game he was he caught me on film it got it actually got caught some traction there uh for the uh, rebel yell i let out after the uh big stop yeah, on that uh, fourth down play which sealed the deal uh against the texas tech uh, game here on uh, on yeah. saturday it was good stuff man it's good stuff yeah so west will not be stuck on the tarmac when he is back for the, the west virginia tcu preview here in a couple of days but Let's dive right into this, guys. We'll, we'll go a few minutes here, and then we'll get into to Big Daddy. Uh, West Virginia beating Texas Tech 20-13. to 13. Again, ugly. Wasn't the prettiest way to win. But, again, at this point in the game for Neil Brown, it's not about how you win, how sexy it is. It's just about getting that result. They found a way to do it these last two weeks with Nico Markey, all the redshirt freshman quarterback, 
doing just enough to to kind of keep the offense somewhat going, I guess you can say. The running game didn't even really have its best day either. I didn't think, even though they ran for 157 yards, it was only 3.7 yards of carry. So there's a lot of stuff to build on. But how about that defense, guys? Like, holy crap, did they play their, their lights off, their tails off? I mean, Jed and I were kind of just talking here about an hour ago, and he he made the comment, you know, isn't it great that you can win and still be figuring things out on offense? Yeah. And uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's a, it's not, you know, I'm not going to say it's a train wreck, but they got to find their way. They're going to have to find their way. We, we can't get away with that all season long, but defense coming up huge. I mean, those guys have literally – taking the team on their back and made it through these last couple of games. Um, proud of those guys. And they're starting to kind of come out of their shell a little bit. You see in that confidence on defense, uh, especially in the secondary, those guys are coming alive. And if you saw some of the plays they were making, I mean, boys were screaming. I mean, it was, it was fun watching those guys fly around. There's no doubt about it. And you know what that game reminded me of. And, you know, I, I remember when, when Neil was hired, uh, I wanted to know anything and everything about this guy we were getting from Troy, Alabama, that was a receiver at Kentucky and UMass. So I did a very thorough deep dive. By the way, love that pic- love that picture you sent uh, of Neil in in college, and it was like, "Hey, we're oh, climbing again, boys." Posted that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So one one of the things I'd done when Neil was hired, or when it appeared imminent that he would be. Uh, I did a deep dive into everything that he'd done as a head coach at Troy and studied each of those games. I went and watched the pressers, the post game, the pregame, and got a sense of who he was and what the vibe in each of those games was. And this game reminded me in so many ways, guys, of in 2018, his final year at Troy, uh, as a double digit underdog, he took Troy up to Lincoln, Nebraska. And upset Nebraska twenty four to nineteen in front of eighty some thousand you know Cornhusker fans, and it was ugly. It was rough around the edges. They had two hundred and fifty some yards offense, but they played very opportunistic third down defense. They made just enough plays from the special team standpoint. Uh, there was nothing really flashy about it. It was just swelling up at the right times in the game. And I couldn't help but think as this game was unfolding, it reminded me of that Troy went over Nebraska. It was that so that same kind of template. Uh, and, you know, we, we were minus two in turnover now in turnover margin. Now, th- this isn't something you strive for by any stretch, but sometimes you find yourself in a game and you haven't executed as efficiently on offense and you've coughed it up once or twice or made some poor decisions in the throw game as we did. And meanwhile, the defense isn't snatching the football the way you want them to. And you find yourself on the business end of a turnover margin. Well, that doesn't mean you throw in the towel and give up. you got to battle and find your way over the course of 60 minutes to claw back and win that game or to claw ahead and win that game despite the disadvantage in turnover margin. And what struck me, I got to thinking about it, this was the fourth year in a row that we won a game minus two in turnover margin. And That's crazy. That's irregular. It's not something you want to do. Okay, but if you find yourself in that situation, it's a tough situation to be in. But first, they'll hit the offense, then they'll go to the defense. You obviously have to start with Nico. I liked the way that they got things rolling, even right out of the shoot. You start, oh, and they started with a smash route to the left. So the southpaw gets to roll left with a very basic. Now, for those who've, who've never played quarterback and read a smash route, when you're facing any version of a host of soft coverages, there's going to be a flat player that has to buzz that flat. A smash route is the wide out, basically runs a five-yard stop or smash or hitch, whatever you want to call it. It's coached different ways. And the slot is going to run some version of a post-corner slash flag. And you're going to high-low the defender responsible for that flat area of the field. Well, if they're in a soft coverage, it's too much for the flat player to get there quickly on that quick hitch or smash. So pre-snap, you know, hey, I got an easy five-yard completion. He's going to spin and miss a tackle. It's nine yards on my first play of the game. I love the fact that's how he started it off play action. Gave Nico an easy completion. And then right after that, yeah. boom, play number two. What do we do, Owen? We get him involved in the run game. Get him hit. Run his own read. You really wake up and you're yeah. part of the game once you, you have contact made. So two plays into yeah. the game, and he's kind of lathered up and ready to go. Now, we can talk all the live long day about the inability to push the football vertical and the lack of plays made on the perimeter. 
And well, even in the second half, I would say the lack of plays made by the running back room that we have such faith in, right? I think the only consistent piece of that offense all day was the O-line, starting with Zach Frazier. But when you look at Nico and you look at what he demonstrated, first of all, you, I think fans are starting to get a sense. They've heard us say, well, Garrett's the twitchy, explosive one. Nico's the strong, slippery one, right? Well, I think through the better part of two games, they now have a sense of what we mean by that. You, you very much can see he's he's a handful. He's 224 pounds. He's deceptively large. He's physical and he's strong. He's tough to bring down. An arm tackle is not going to do it. Yeah. And multiple times in the run game, you saw him make, make Texas Tech pay with that skill set and that ability. But what stuck out to me the most was when Texas Tech closed the gap to 13 to 10. And oh, this is what I was talking to Owen about. There are so many of Nico's parts of Nico's game. I want to talk about the drive when it was 13 to 10 and what that meant to me. There are so many parts of Nico's game that at his age and his stage in his career, a lot of things still need to slow down. Okay. You're, you're, you know, uh, sundry drive in the middle of the first quarter in a scoreless game. Uh, he, he need his reads need to slow down. He needs to do a, a much crisper job of, focusing on his read keys, understanding certain rotations on the back end, understanding his quick answer throws. All these things need to slow down. You see a, a massive ceiling in what he can be. But the area of the game that doesn't need to slow down, and I think is already at nearly a 400 level, is the situational awareness he demonstrates. In critical points in a football game, he understands when he took the field when it was 13 to 10 after Texas Tech scored, he recognized the critical nature of that specific possession. Yep. And he said, you know what? I'm going to will us down the football field. And watching that, that's daggone near what he did with his legs, with his arm. He cashes in with the throw to big Cole Taylor, puts us back up 20 to 10. And I really like the fact, guys, that when we got the ball back and we needed another drive like that, we needed another drive to chew clock, move the chains, keep Texas Tech off the field. Now we were nursing a seven-point lead. What's the first play we ran? We took a shot play to E.J. Horton. We trusted Nico, and Nico delivered a great ball on that too. So we opened up going for the win. We weren't playing not to lose. We were playing to win. Neil yeah. was calling plays to win. He was being aggressive, leaving nothing on the field. So that's what I saw out of Nico. Now, when you go to the other side of the ball, First of all, it was so critical for us in this game, not just because of what's played out in the previous four games with us falling in this massive hole after the first quarter, but they were a forced first quarter team all year. They'd outscored the opposition 45 to 15 with a bunch of fast starts. That's what they do. They game plan well. They jump on you with a quick script. Next thing you know, you're down by 10 or 14 points and you're in a trail position. The defense, I think, forced three, three and outs in the first four possessions. So they came right out of the shoots like Lions, and that made such a huge, huge difference in the overall flow, certainly of the first half, and it was needed because that goodwill and collateral we built in the first half by building that 10-point lead with such exceptional defense was sorely needed in the second half when that same defense was on the field for 58 plays in one half. That's the most snaps in one half since the 2018 loss in Stillwater with Giddy's defense on the field, 53 plays. So that was we were we were really reaching. You saw hands on hips. We were running on lower tanks toward the end. You, you know, you heard Neil talk in his presser about the tackling wasn't as solid at the end of the game. The technique wasn't as solid. Well, Owen, you know this better than anybody. What happens when you get tired? What's the first thing to disintegrate? Technique, right? Technique yep. starts to oh, yeah. disintegrate. You started to Start see playing higher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now you started to see yeah. some of that. Now I think what happened with with Tyler Shuck, here's here's how the, the critical role I think that played in the outcome of the game. Tyler Shuck was going to be a big part of their run game, first of all. They believe in Q power. He's a big physical kid. They like doing it. So when he gets knocked out of the game and Baron Morton comes in, I had some Mountaineer fans saying, whoa, that's the same guy that carved us up in Lubbock last year. I don't want to face him. I'd rather face the other guy. Not so fast. And here's why I say that. First of all. Hey, all real quick, Jed, before you. Yeah, Jed, ahead. real quick. Hey, how tough is that kid, by the way? To take that snap like that? That was dude. Perfect. I was like, are you I was like, are you kidding me, dude? You I think the bone was the like bone out of his ankle. I was like, dude, this Nasty. guy is a, Oh, it was crazy, man. I was like, this this kid is a warrior, man. 
And then he's getting wheeled off on the gurney, giving the guns up to the crowd. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. I know. You are right. So what I was thinking, Baron Morton comes in the game, the same kid that carved us up last year. First of all, if I'm Zach Kitley and I'm calling that game now, and if I'm Joey McGuire, the head coach for Texas Tech, guess what's not going to play as big a role in my game plan as I initially Quarterback run. Yes. I'm not going to my number three kid and get my number two hurt. That's point number one. Point number two, when we played them last year, they were coming off not just a loss, but they had a bye week following the Oklahoma State loss. Three out of the last four games against us, they had a bye week. So they had two weeks to put together a great plan to put Baron Morton in a great position to flourish and succeed against us at home. And they did it. That game plan last year, I thought it was offensive wizardry by Zach Kittley. Baron Morton's a good player. But Zach Kittley didn't ask much of Baron Morton. It was a lot of shifting, a lot of motions, a lot of window dressing, formation to the boundary, quads creating single coverage. They threw 14 screen passes against this. It was all a matter of quick read and throw it, quick read and throw it, quick read and throw it, setting the table with movement and motion and all these exotic looks to make life easy for his young quarterback. Well, guess what you can't do when your young quarterback's been taking the number two snaps and he comes stone cold off the bench? He doesn't know those formations and motions, just like Nico against Pitt. That part of the game plan was lost when Garrett left and Nico came in. You have to sacrifice certain things at the altar of reps. And when you're only getting 25% of the reps as the number two, you can't master the nuances and timing of all those motions, all those shifts. You can't do that. It's not as easy. There's not enough time in practice. In the 20-hour NCAA rules, it's difficult to do that. Baron Morton encountered the same thing this year. So whereas last year, he was getting all those reps with the ones. And that great plan and that great strategy with all those exotic looks was a central part of what they were doing to make his life easier. I couldn't help but notice very quickly when he came in the game, it was a lot more basic, and I would even call it vanilla. If you come from a spread background like me and Owen, vanilla-type stuff, very basic motions like a round motion. We used to call it dick motion, Owen, remember, you know, just to check if they were a man or in zone because if you draw it up on the board, what would it look like, right? Uh, and then a lot of Rip and Liz formations with basic 10 personnel. You have four wides, one back, so it's twins right, twins left. It was pretty vanilla stuff by comparison to what they ran with Baron Morton last year. So it was much more difficult, and he had to earn it the hard way. And that's why I'm all the more impressed by what they were able to do, stringing those drives together in the second half. Now, part of it was they were two for 18 on third down. So I, I always shoot through a filter. I always shoot through a filter. We go forward on fourth down more than anybody in the Big 12 issue. Neil's very aggressive, more aggressive than Texas Tech. The, one of the storylines, and it was a misconception last week, was, oh, Texas Tech goes for it on fourth down. I'm like, no, no, no. The storyline is this. Let's, let's do some research and take it up a notch. They went for it on fourth down a bunch last year. The story is, why aren't they doing so this year? And through three games, they hadn't been. I think Oregon on the field fourth and two on Texas Tech's own 30 almost scared him out of it a bit. But he'd only attempted six fourth downs coming into the West Virginia game. Well, lo and behold, they returned to form. They attempted eight. By the nature of the game, the way it was unfolding, they were in a desperate position. So because they were two of 18 on third down, and by the way, I did the research, the last time a West Virginia defense had 16 third down stops in one game was the 2011 backyard brawl with Jeff Castillo. Wow. So it doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen yeah. often. That makes sense, though. So. On third down, but they were five of eight on fourth down. So you always ask yourself, you look at that two ways. Well, that two of 18 is a little misleading because these guys tend to say, if it's third and eight, I'm not going for the first down. I'm going for fourth and four. I want half of it back. So it's a little misleading. I'm like, well, that's true. But guess who put them in the third and eight? We did. So we still get credit, right? I'm not getting a mm -hmm. free pass because of that. So when you look at everything that we did, forcing them into these inopportune situations and long yardage situations and transition downs, to me, that's what dictated more than anything. That's how you finish minus two and win the game. And Owen, you talked about the DBs. Here's some numbers and metrics to connect to what you're seeing on tape. When I'm watching tape, I'm watching Beanie Bishop play the ball. When I'm watching tape, I'm watching Aubrey Brooks as Brooks as Aubrey Brooks, I should say, as an incredible open field tackler, and he's playing the ball in flight. And you know what? Malachi, again, he's a dog. That's what he is. He, Malachi's the, the guy that, you know, a buddy of mine that I played in, at Glenville with, Chris George, his dad always told him when he was a little kid, there was a big guy that he was like in the second grade, and there was this big guy that was always trying to steal his lunch money. And he said, well, here's what's going to happen, Chris. 
He said, I'm not going to come into school and talk to anybody. You're going to solve this yourself. And you're going to solve it. That guy knows that if he beats your ass, he's taking your lunch money. Well, just let him know you got to beat my ass every day. I'm never stopping. Okay. That's Malachi Ruffin. That's him. He said, I don't care. I'm coming back. I'm a coming and I'm coming and I'm coming. Don't tell me I have limited skill set. I'm aggressive. I'm a corner. That's the mentality I got. That's what I like about that kid. I love that about yeah. Malachi Ruffin. So what's happening on the back end? A year ago, guys, we couldn't even get around the football to make a play when the ball was in play. We had 36 passes defended last year, all year, easily the fewest in the Big 12. We ranked 123rd in all of FBS and passes defended with 36. The other night alone, we had 10. For the season, wow. we already have 24. We are playing the ball in flight. It's one thing to cover somebody. But it's something else to react and react properly when the football is in the air and it matters most. That's what this defensive secondary, with the confidence that it's developed, is starting to do. And, boy, it come, couldn't come at a better time. We'll get into this later in the week. You're going to be tested and tested often against this TCU pass game with that very skill. But that's kind of what I see at it, guys. And that's, that's the good and the bad of it. Uh, and we go back to what we've said multiple times. You always like coming out of a win with a ton of learning opportunities and yeah. we could be sitting here at one and three, right? We could be sitting here at one and three, having these same conversations, but instead we're sitting here at three and one talking about, we got to get better here. We got to get better. Of course we do. You're not going to achieve the things we want to achieve with the lack of production on the perimeter in the past game that we're now having with the inconsistency half to half in the run game that we had on Saturday. There are things you're going to have to do better. The defense is going to have to force some turnovers. I even said in the pregame show with Learfield before the game, one of the things that has to happen, we can't win this football game without picking off a pass. Boy, was I wrong. But the defense, there are going to be games that we can't win without forcing some turnovers. So for all the great things the defense is doing, all the exceptional things, we have the number one ranked third down defense in the Big 12 right now. After four games, that's a sturdy robust sample size we're playing high level football in a lot of critical areas at all three levels of that defense the next step is start snatching the football and stealing us some possessions and then on offense the next step is obviously start making some plays downfield in the pass game and quite frankly in the run game i mean cj doesn't have a run of 20 yards yet this year yeah for all the good things and exceptional things that he's done so we need to make more big plays, more splash, splash plays. It's it's just too hard to make a living putting together eight, 10, 12 play drives. Too many things can go wrong. So you have to build yourself out with some explosive plays and get off the field a little quicker sometime. But there there is a lot to be excited about on both sides of the football and in the special teams unit. So at three and one, I like the fact that we still have a lot of opportunities to get better, uh, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a receiver, whatever it might be we're sitting here at three and one instead of otherwise having the same conversations. And those turnovers too, they're, they're even more critical when you have a struggling offense and you have a redshirt freshman quarterback who may or may not be playing again. And this weekend and making his first career road start. Now I know he played a lot in that Oklahoma state game, but this is a whole new deal. You're going into it knowing you're the guy. So you need those turnovers if you can get them. And, and I think Garrett and, will be day to day. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Garrett was in better shape even on Saturday than I thought he'd be by Saturday. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, but two things travel well, and this is more of a TCU conversation, but the two things that traditionally travel well, Owen, defense and run game. And the cherry on top, as Skyler was saying, if you can snatch a few takeaways and play good defense and run the football, that's the recipe for success on the road. But we'll save Chef's that kiss. for TCU stuff. But, and, yeah. and I thought Neil did a really good job, too, of describing that match zone stuff and how – they, they were having problems last year with guys kind of peeking into the backfield, not really focusing on their guys. Now they're kind of playing a little bit tighter and they know what they're actually supposed to be doing on these things. So now it's not, oh, no, there's a guy busting loose down the, the field. Most critical it's thing, not happening. The most critical thing that's happened from streamlining our schemes and our concepts on defense. We spent the entire camp with everybody worried and having this question about will linebacker, will linebacker, will linebacker. Well, we haven't talked about out, it. Come to find out, well, first of all, Lee Koval was the will linebacker yeah. for the vast majority of the Penn State game. And now, because they cross-train, Lee and uh, Trey Lathan can swap it out. Why can they swap it out? Because the concepts have been streamlined. Yeah. If it's more convoluted and high-end and more technical, more dialed into a specific run fit at this versus this formation from this spot, 
it's much more difficult to cross train and do that. But when you streamline things and allow guys to be aggressive and play downhill, I mean, think about it, Owen. You played in Rich's offense and you played in the West Coast offense. And think of how much more advanced and difficult it was to get to the point that you felt comfortable being aggressive in the West Coast because there's so much indecision, just wondering oh, if you're going to learn the playbook, right? There's so much going on in the West Coast offense. Uh, and Rich had, you know, for uh, for Jed's term, streamlined, uh, literally his offense. I mean, you're talking maybe 12 plays out of 12 different formations. That's what it really seemed like the bread and butter was. There wasn't really much going on. So and in, in his theory, uh, look, I want my athletes reacting. I don't want them thinking. Thinking, yep. You know, so that that was the that was the big thing, and you can see that on the field. And I, I think one more thing I'll just add to is, if you want to see those big plays happen, you gotta be around the football. Okay, so the bigger runs will come when everybody's around the football, right? And we're blocking, we're doing our stuff downfield, and that's where those big bust runs come from in the backfield, and then vice versa on the back end and the defense, right? Those plays start to happen more when you get comfortable, and now you're taking. You know, not so much risk, but critical uh, thinking risks, like calculated uh, calculated chances, and everybody's flying around to the football, making it happen. So, the the more you start playing cohesive as a unit and understanding your role is more than just running a route or blocking on a certain play. It's it's really about playing till the whistle blows and always being around the football. Uh, things things are going to start to happen. We're going to get out of here and jump to Big Daddy, but I'm going to close with this, Owen. You, here's where you just nailed something else. You talked about big plays happening offensively once you get more hats around the football. Once you get more assertion and more aggressive play, straining and stretching to block a second defender, right? What's the old saying? You know, a good player gets one, a great player gets two. It's two, yeah. yeah. Right? And so, so th that happens. Big plays happen on offense when that happens. And on the defensive side, it's similar. Turnovers tend to happen when you have hats around the football. And this West Virginia defense does have hats around the football, which is why I have to think at some point we're going to start getting some of those turnovers in bunches. Yeah, I, I love the way this front seven has played. They have played absolutely lights out in these first four games, and I think they're going to get better. As, as Neil said in his press conference, this may be one of the best units they've had up front. So uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to get right back to it with Big Daddy, who is the star of the show, apparently, to our YouTube commenters. So – uh, we're going to get to a break, and we'll be back with him. So thank you, guys. Uh, we'll be right around the corner with Big Daddy. You've been in the gun. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student-athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over-MSRP campaign on new Fords guaranteed to, to save you thousands. thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations, with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit Fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. And as we promised, we are back with the star of the show, Big Daddy. And, and I, I've got to admit, Big Daddy, you are you are the most famous person 
in these little squares right here. If you go no. in the YouTube comments every week, Not there's even. somebody saying something about Big Dad. Look, you're Paul Lynn. No, I'm definitely dating myself. I have no idea, Big Daddy, if you know what I'm talking about. But I Hollywood don't know what you're talking about. Well, I know you don't. <laughs> three weeks ago. But Hollywood Squares, Paul the, Lynn was yep. the famous square. You are Paul Lynn. Here's the thing, though. Jed, you played overseas. You played everywhere. You're like, people know you. Owen is owned. We don't have to discuss it. I am by far the the lesser known out of this group. I just pay the most to get these people to talk about. <laughs> oh. I don't have money. I just do by hook or by crook. Whatever has to happen, happens. But you yeah, haven't yeah. done it the, the old way, like how some people create burner accounts and be like, oh, Big Daddy's good. He, he's I, not that guy. I tried a burner it's account legit. Time in 07 when I worked for a website and that's, I, it was football fatty and I was so bad at it. Like trying to <laughs> spam post to get people to watch our stuff on our website. I was so <laughs> bad at it. I was banned off the boards within like a week and I just gave up. It'll never, what's the point? You were banned off the boards? Banned off the boards. You imagine if we had a message board. Ooh, I, don't, uh, I hear stories about those things and I'm just like, you have got, wow. Like my buddy wild. Our, our friends, yeah, you would know, Skylar. I couldn't tell you the first thing. My buddies will tell me stories, and I'm like, Well, and I do, do know this there's that account on Twitter, and it's some of a message board madness or something. And he, this guy captures like message board content from all over the country, and it is just classic. I mean, we thought it we thought it would be a great idea when we first started our site a few years ago to kind of help engage traffic. And we're like two weeks into this thing. We're like, we're not doing this. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like people, people go here to take out all their, their, their frustration oh, yeah. out on us yeah. and throwing cuss words and just, it, it's, it's a mess. But anyway, well, case in point, the account that I'm talking about on Twitter, I think today is when I saw him, he posted something from a USC message board uh, about this poster. Well, Lincoln Riley is just obviously not the answer. We need to get we need to get rid of him. Start from scratch. Yeah, uh, this just isn't going to work. I mean, did oh, you see how many points gosh. we gave up the other night? I, and well, this guy posts stuff like this every day, and I'm like, this is just delicious. I, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but there used to be an app like circa 2010 called Bowlbound, and I think it may have been tied with ESPN. There was just a bunch of college football like that. fans all in one spot, and I'd get on there all the time. And there was so much back and forth. It got so bad they got rid of the thing. <laughs> oh, the were there message boards when you played? I don't, I don't remember if there were. I don't know. Or, much or not. That was before Twitter. It was only Facebook for us old farts, and it was only a college account. But were so there message boards? People got to the message boards back in 05, 06, because that was the only place to go. And it yeah, was. I feel like, so they did yeah, exist when no one was. Here. I feel like the okay. message boards was definitely more old school than it is. Yes, it is now. Now it's like you mainstream. You're on a site. It's a message board. Before it was like sketchy, like black page that just had script, <laughs> and you would just see like a name. Sometimes there might be an image or an icon of that person. Web. Did like you know was... anything about him? Did you ever hear about him or? I, buddy, the only thing I went online for was uh, adult content, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you so you weren't looking up to see who wrote about Owen Schmidt that week. You were you were nah, too. <laughs> guys, are they are they free or do you do you pay? Again, yeah, no, the, the sites, the adult no. sites are free, totally. Oh, okay. <laughs> you would know that. The message board. We have are gone off the rails. No, message boards were pre like again, that was like you had to pay to do yeah. free ones were oh, trapped. You had to pay to to like write on that stuff. The good ones. Oh. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, how it and is the good adult sites that you're talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, one one thank you here to Fortis, a uh, quick curveball here, but uh, for roof performance and financial security guarantee. <laughs> I can't even focus now. <laughs> make, sure to, make sure to visit fortis.us.com. And, anyways, I don't know. Yeah, how, I don't know. I don't know how you transition to the next thing. Before Owen ends up with his, with his OnlyFans page here. I'm going to sell feet pics. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you do, here we are. Oh my God. Uh, boy. See what you did, Big Daddy? I mean, we were talking top 25. <laughs> we were just cruising along. Self fulfilling. What an influence you are. <laughs> oh boy. I needed well, that laugh, man. Thank you.
that was good i was like my heart feels like it's full now i got my big daddy laughing <laughs> what was your angle big daddy on the fourth and ten uh up top okay so i have my finger on the button to play hypnotized by biggie as loud as possible yes. so all i'm doing uh-huh. is wait ball to hit the ground so when i see it go up i thought i missed something because it was just kind of middle of the field where nothing else was, but I saw the ball hit the ground. They called it. I hit it, and that was that. I blacked out afterwards. And that was that. For the last 10 seconds, we took a knee. It was it was very chaotic, because normally, Big Daddy Montoro, he's down on the sidelines four to five minutes to go, and he yeah. and I are coordinating, okay, after Neil, what player? Because when we win, I interview Neil and a player straight into it. Well, I hadn't seen Monty, because the way the game ended, I was with Neil down at that end of the field, right on the edge of the box. So I didn't even see Monty. And it wasn't until the final gun sounded that I realized, oh, I haven't even seen Monty. What are we going to do here? I guess we'll play it by ear. I'm going to grab Neil. So I grabbed Neil, and it just tells you what kind of guy Neil is. I asked him, I said, do you want to go now? Do you want to wait? He said, let's get it other way. Let's go ahead and do it. Yeah, let's, let's talk. So I, I, Pat Sargent, our producer, our engineer, I said, Pat, throw it down, throw it down. So he has Tony throw it. Next thing you know, I'm talking to Neil. So meanwhile, my head's on a swivel. I see TV with Montoro heading our way. So now I'm gesturing toward Neil. Okay, we got to walk toward TV. I got to cut you loose. Yeah. So Neil talks like 10 seconds. And I said to Tony, hey, you know, Neil's busy down here, very much in demand. And and Neil turns back toward me and he says, no, Jed, I'll be back in a minute. I'll be back in a minute. We'll finish this up. <laughs> okay, I actually saw that. Enough. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still, I finally saw Montoro. And then I see Montoro standing there with Nico. And I was like, oh, I guess Nico's who I'm interviewing. All right, fair enough. Makes sense. But that whole sequence at the end of the game was just insanity. Like, first of all, when they got the first and 10 at the 12, they had two, they, had, they started all that with three timeouts. But right before that, they used their first timeout. I, I was surprised they didn't run the ball. Okay. And they had four straight pass attempts. But I was also thinking to myself, Joey McGuire is pretty good at clock management, right? I mean, this guy, you know, for, for a guy who was coaching high school ball seven or eight years ago, the college clock isn't something that's too large for him. He understands all the nuances of it. But And uh, I really appreciate that part of the game, even if I had a good high school game, watching a coach manage the clock. But I was thinking to myself, they have all three timeouts as they're winding down this drive. What that means, and this is the part nobody's talking about as it happened, they could literally lose the ball on downs here and still have a shot because they could get a quick three and out with the three timeouts, get the ball back around the 40 or 45, still have a shot. But as soon as he took that first timeout, that's off the table. Gone. That, yeah. That's gone. So then they throw four straight times. But what I noticed, they passed with the switch route, tried to get the tight end up the rail. So they used that quadrant. And then they tried to get behind the backers with the crosser with their backup tight end. So I'm thinking to myself, as a play caller, what else would I do? And I was telling Tony on the broadcast, as this is coming up on fourth down, I said, I would think, ball's left hash, I would go formation to the boundary, try and get Jaron Bradley, single him up on somebody they like. I'm going to guess that's going to be Malachi. All right, well, they ran trips to the boundary to the left. They singled Jaron Bradley up on Malachi, except he wasn't singled. Here comes Aubrey Burks with safety help over top. That indecision is what created the pressure on Baron Morton that forced that errant throw, but so you were up top watching that whole thing play out, right? The the Beanie Bishop bat down was absolutely unreal. Great there. play. And then again, since we're doing game management, every time there's a timeout called, we've got to scramble and figure out what we're going to play or anything like that. So I can enjoy it for a second, but then it's got to be, oh God, okay, what song are we going to do? And then focus on the play again and try to be ready. Biggie, all I want to do every game is hit hypnotize. <laughs> moment i think is going to be it and the last few years somehow that's always been a fourth down and it works out because then the place can go nuts and it's chaos it was chaos. you know what neil told the team right before we came out and i thought this is pretty clever it was a good point based on the weather the nature of the crowd all that he said guys last week i told you you'd be feeding off the energy of the crowd and he said did i lie to you they're like no 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 he's like this week they're going to need to feed off your energy you create it and they'll feed off of it. And I keep thinking of guys like you, that's your job is to create that energy in the crowd and help the team fire everybody up. Uh, I want to see Owen's reaction to this. I found out this weekend, I got a text. I went back and I checked Twitter and it's accurate. Um, Kevin Nash diesel uh, from the NWO WWE knows about our NWO defense video 
and has retweeted it back out into the world. So wow, the, awesome. really, the wrestling mark in me is absolutely elated, and now every <laughs> team for the rest of the season to see if we can do anything. So. I told Chris O that this morning and he just stood in the hallway for about two minutes. I had to go to the press conference. I just left him to be with his thoughts to figure it all out. So apparently Kevin Nash knows something. That is awesome. Bischoff. I haven't seen anything from Bischoff, but come, come to us. Let us old wrestling marks enjoy what our majesty was back in 98, 99. Let's give a a round of applause for Big Daddy and his team. Because if you think about it, that the, the, the atmosphere for Texas Tech, I wasn't there for that, but the pit game, we hadn't talked about it since you – because we did it, I think, after the fact. We actually posted the video. I got a video of the, the Rashid Marshall video. Oh, that was you. Rashid, yeah. that video, by the way. Well that done. was amazing. Everybody everybody that had been looking for that video, we put it up. Um, you could just hear the – as soon as he said and pick, like everyone just was like waiting to see what he was about to say. When he dropped the line, it was like, oh. Like, and fan it was base fantastic. Pitt knows nothing about. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you can see it like the relish of of just passion and joy he yeah. had to at from Rashid, who just hates Pitt, maybe maybe more than anybody else out there. <laughs> it was it was awesome. Those lines were perfectly delivered. Perfectly yeah. delivered. He didn't need any coaching for those. I can I can assure you of that. Now there's one thing that I wanted to ask your guys' opinion about from this game because I didn't really start thinking about it until, like, yesterday for some reason. Usually I think of it as the game goes, but I was a little delayed. Had Texas Tech scored on that drive? Yes. Yes. Did they go for two? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was – Yeah. I was like, you have to. Backup quarterback, you're on the road, your back's against Coleman the wall, you wanted to. I told Coleman Barnes on the sidelines when we had to punt on that fourth down. I said, I mm-hmm. hope we got a great two-point play, two-point defense ready. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to go to overtime. No, no. I mean, here's the thing about it. The crowd wasn't 60,000 strong, but, they were but it, it was the right yeah. 40-some, 50,000. You know, it was, they were loud. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They were loud. They understood when to get loud, when to make life difficult for Texas Tech. Texas Tech didn't want to string that thing in overtime. They, they, I would have been shocked if they, if they had kicked that, but. That's a tough game for a fan, man. It's, you know, it's pouring the rain all day. Yes. Um, it's not like they didn't want to be there. You could tell, obviously, people wanted to be there. But, you know, it's it's a struggle to to stay out there in the rain all day like that, especially when they said it was supposed to cut off kind of early. So right. I, I commend the people that were there. And, and like you said, they definitely still brought the atmosphere. But getting back to Sean's deal, w- without what you guys do, the – there really is no hype. You know what I mean? There is, but there isn't. Like, we need those little subtle um, nuances in between plays. And, like, I love, like, it, it, me, uh, you know, I love hearing a good song that I'm I'm getting up to. It gives me a little juice and spunk when I need it. And and, and then, obviously, now where I've been able to, uh, you know, watch the games from, from the field and from the stands, um, it's it's just fun to see the flow of the game with yeah. that entertainment that's on the side to keep kind of like the interest sparked the whole time. Yeah. Thank you. I'm a big needle drop guy. I love, I love a good, I heard a couple songs this weekend too. While I was watching different shows and movies. I'm like, Oh, that might work too. I will say, I appreciate it very much. Thank you guys for saying all the kind of things. Chris. O, like I said, calls a lot of it too, but I will say as I've talked about it a million times from here, went here, all that stuff. The moment I hear a let's go Mountaineers start, that's I can put it up on the board as much as we want the graphic that rotates the fans start that and the fans drive that so the moment we hear one of those I look at our guy Lucas and just kill it kill it them have this like I I, I'm I'm a very much believer oh three my freshman year that Wednesday night game did the let's go back and forth when we're winning 28 to seven is one of the greatest sounds I've ever heard in my life. When we beat Georgia in the sugar bowl, I'm walking down the giant rotunda stairwells at the Georgia dome with my flip phone recording the let's <laughs> in there. And it was my ringtone for the year. Like that, that chant to me is sacrosanct. We hear it. Everything else stops. Let the fans do it because they're the ones that are, that are here and drive all of that. Oh, that'll make the hair on your arm stand up in the back of your neck big time. 
a great like it was near the end of the game we had music playing and it just started the cheerleaders weren't trying to lead it we didn't have graphics up it just start kill it kill it let them roll and it went for a full minute and a half did not slow down it was awesome the again the pet game that was my wife's first night game at wvu and she was just like blown away by the crowd's noise because like when you guys started playing sweet caroline like even she knew because I, I educated her a little bit i was like when this if this does happen just be aware and she kind of was like oh i hope they play it i hope they play it and as soon as i heard it i kind of glanced up at the at, at the at the press box trying to see if i could see you and i was like here we go she's like oh my gosh she's like i can't they're they're I can't believe the amount of passion that just comes out of this. <laughs> like it was crazy. We're, we're that, gonna get that pit one for a while. Like that oh, yeah. is one of the greatest that's like. And that's, I've that's the thing I, I, I like about the fan base is again, it wasn't a, a complete sellout against Texas tech, right? We, we know that it was like 40, 50,000, like Jed said, but those that did stay, they had a big part in that game. Neil talked about it in the press conference, especially towards the end of the game when they were trying to make that final drive those moments help and even though you're not packed to the gills like you can still make an impact and yeah. it is tough I mean when you just played your your heated rival the first time at home in at, over a decade you're kind of exhausted after that game because to have a, it would almost benefited if they had a away game this past yeah. week three home games in a row I severely under at three I you know I have never been a part of three home games in a row since I really? worked here remember any even as a student here like I honestly don't know the last time three in a row have happened at home for WVU and when we saw the schedule early on we're like oh well you know we we've done a million games before we'll be okay I severely underestimated <laughs> we would all be by that third yeah. home especially we had multiple volleyball games multiple women's and men's soccer games last week and then we roll into that and it was just like Whew, okay here we go <laughs> yeah and, and the way that that went viral in all the right ways, like yeah. even the Sweet Caroline portion of it, like it's still there going. People, there were people on Twitter. I saw somebody from down south that has nothing to do with Washington football and was a pretty prominent voice on Twitter or X. Uh, they posted West Virginia belongs in the SEC. <laughs> in other words, because you see that type of thing so often on the road in the SEC, yeah. but it's atypical in some other conferences, but. There's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. So the four games into the season, West Virginia three and one, one known Big Twelve conference play. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, just quick thoughts on TCU. I know we'll get into the preview here in a couple of days, but I got Owen Skyler. I want to ask Owen something. Yeah, and go ahead. I go ahead. Ask Big Daddy something. Uh, well, we had Big Daddy on here. I thought this was perfectly fitting since it's it's pop culture through and through. We have someone sitting on this podcast who happens to be the inner part of the inner circle of a family that was the biggest story in not just college football and the NFL, but all of football. Uh, what say you, Owen, about your boy Travis Kelsey? Oh, yeah. You, who, by the way, you sat with his parents at the Super Bowl he played in, <laughs> all of a sudden showing up with arguably the biggest star walking the earth. I couldn't tell you much about her, but that doesn't mean she's not. And Taylor Swift, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't get your thoughts on that. The billionaire babe. Yeah. The billionaire babe. Yes, you, man. The Swifties. The, the are, Swiftie are you a Swiftie? Army. The Swiftie you Army. A Swiftie? I've never... <laughs> I will say she is a babe. And, and I'm very uh, excited to see that uh, legend of a couple uh happen i think they'd uh they'd, they'd make some cute babies that's for sure have you texted travis huh? i have not texted travis okay. i've texted jason and i've said jason what what give me the scoop dog what's yeah. the deal is this legit because i mean it's been like the hottest thing uh going <laughs> yeah. on right now i mean yeah it mcafee yeah Sunday. mcafee had him on his dang show yep uh a couple days ago or whatever yep. And uh, was asking them about it, and they were all kind of being hush hush about it. So, did you see I the Taylor know. Swift impact? Like his social media followers went up, oh, like yeah, billion or something like that, and or half a million. I mean, and his jersey sales skyrocketed through the roof to like top five in the league. It's Just a great marketing play for her oh, being yeah. seen at the Chiefs game <laughs> with his family. Some of our interns who do not care about football whatsoever, it's all they've been talking about since. Yeah. Like, wow. Like, Big they, Daddy, 
One of the like greatest the- things on Twitter this today. Yeah, was, and then after we like, did you see who was at the game? Yes, I saw. The I saw Swifties explaining to each other how football works. <laughs> that was one of the greatest things I've seen forever on Twitter. They're explaining, well, what's a punt? What does fourth down mean? It's just awesome. When she dropped the LFG, oh yeah, yeah, it was over. It was all over. Yeah, you, so I had you know that showing that. You know uh, she's into it for sure. Yeah, well, and she's comfortable with his mom. She's doing that six inches from his mom's ear, right? Yeah. Well, right. she's well, that was what I had for Owen, and what I got for you, Big Daddy. All right, we're going to Fort Worth. Yes, which already makes this somewhat of a leading question. I know what my answer is. Best barbecue. In the entire Big Twelve circuit, what mm. say? Where is it? Oh, okay. It is hands down, without question, what used to be Oklahoma Joe's. Now it's just Joe's Barbecue in Kansas City. It is unquestionably the greatest for me. I got to finish up because I want to ask you a question. So when we Dallas, uh, I've done Cooper's before and it's not bad, but there's a hard eight by our hotel and Thank every you. hard eight's incredible. And Thank I still. You. So I might need to to jump yeah, Friday in. Friday night, well, I, I'd be shocked if we're not at hard eight. I mean, Tony and I were out there interviewing this guy in the lot. They they burn Owen, they burn this mesquite to yep. get it down to ash. And then they take the hot ash in and they heat the brisket overnight with the ash because they said the mesquite itself would burn too hot. So the ash doesn't. Yep. And it's a whole process. I mean, it's just. Is it coals or ash? It's probably coals. It might be cold. It probably is cold. Yeah. I'll send you the video. I'll send you. The I video. am a bit of a barbecue nerd, so yes. I'm just you know. You what I mean, some some of your fine work. Yes. 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 So, in my estimation, it was always it was always Salt Lake until I ate at Hard Eight. Okay. Salt Lake in Texas. Around so so Joe's when we would stay for Kansas back in the day, we would stay in. Um, okay. Which oh, I've never been there. Of it. it's it's a suburb of uh kansas city so we'd eat there but when we've gone since the men's and women's big 12 basketball tournaments have moved right. to kansas city proper every year we're out there we go yeah and i have not eaten there so i want to try heart eight just to see how it balances you haven't been to heart eight never been never been okay. heard of me i would be stunned if we're not there me and t- coach and tony friday night so you, oh you- and i do want to ask you when do we ever get any more of your wings in this lifetime because i need them i miss them uh fun fact one of the last wing fests that was ever held here owen went to his truck and special gave me some fireball glazed wings that are some of the best flavored wings i've ever had in my life we really upset a lot of people around us but i i they can deal with it it was fabulous you know actually i have been conjuring up this idea i like doing like tailgate packages for people like pre-order stuff uh, so I might be bringing the smoker up and uh, just kind of just just handing out a couple cards, you know what I mean, seeing how it works out. But uh, I'd say in the near future, I'll definitely bring you some. Tommy likes wingies. I- <laughs> Big Daddy, the idea that Wes floated last week, uh-uh. it's, it's caught on like wildfire. I thought it was the episode you were on, doing I- a tailgate oh. in the middle of the summer, yeah. somewhere in Morgantown with Owen Smoker and all five of us yeah. there. That could be why I'll make it some Saturday in the summer. Dude, pre tailgate party. It'd be, it'd be absolutely fabulous. It'd be incredible. It would be. And, and maybe, maybe Owen can float his idea around to the people there. That's, I mean, that's a free sample right there. So those really start getting lubed right there. That's the one yeah. that just, how much would somebody pay to have, first of all, grade A exceptional barbecue at their tailgate? But second of all, have it cooked right in front of you on a smoker by the beer truck. <laughs> what's that worth? Seriously, a, what's that worth? But Rev Kev here in town, uh, Kevin Kane, Tanner Kane worked with us and everything. Never had any of his barbecue, but my God, has he been selling like gangbusters at some of these home games? He did like 21 full briskets last week. They all sold out. His tacos, like, so this town is thirsty for some good barbecue <laughs> action like that. So fear not, Owen. The market's wide open for you. I BBQ. Oh, yeah, baby. You know oh, what yeah. makes me think of, guys? You, you ever been to Camden Yards? Oh, yeah. Boog Pow. Yep. Yeah. You have yeah. a name that's iconic in Oriole history feeding you a barbecue. I mean, that that's the West Virginia version of that, right? Absolutely. I've even tried to get um, 
actually, I need to get back with Steve, but we talked about it a little bit last year. I said, dude, we got to do like a big old dude. Like he's like that's his world now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he he's he absolutely puts out some fabulous, gorgeous looking plates. I'm just like, man, I wish I had some smell of vision right now, dude. <laughs> Imagine a world in which two of the best, three of the best running backs in West Virginia history are your catering company. Amos Zeroway, Steve Slayton, and Owen Schmidt. It could happen. Wow. Like wow. I'm there. It could happen. Wow. You might be on to something. I'm excited. Here we go. It's not. Say <laughs> what? If Rat Rogers shows up, you got a real winner there. Over, yeah. over. Y'all are making me hungry, so <laughs> we'll go ahead and get out of here, Big Daddy. We appreciate you stopping by as you do each and every week. It's a pleasure. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into some more stuff here. We got our Big Twelve weekly picks. We'll see how that fares. Uh, I have a feeling that I didn't do very well. I know uh, one of us might have a, a, a little a little party since they get to move up the standings a little bit. So we'll see what that looks like. We'll get into the West Virginia TCU preview. And then we also have uh, Phil Steele, Phil Friday, of course. So uh, more, uh, more, a lot more stuff coming up here on In the Gun. I'm filling in for Wesley Euler, Skylar Callahan for the Runaway Beer Truck and Jed Drenning. The one thing we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast you've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.